This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we had some section champions crowned last night in girls' high school hoops. Uh, Daniel Schneider is in the news again. Major League Baseball celebrates a Jackie Robinson Day yesterday. My main man, Joe Shuda, has another Rush Friday feature in the 8 o'clock hour as he catches up with one of the best marathon runners ever, Bill Rogers, who won the Boston Marathon and the New York City Marathon multiple times. Also, everybody lost yesterday. (laughs) When you look at the teams that we cover here on a national basis, Everybody lost. But we'll get into all that and more uh, coming up here in the uh, next two hours. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day, wrapping up yet another essential work week. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. We got two Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. Got a Facebook page as well, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Find those pages on the interwebs, like them, follow them, and communicate. Drop me a line, say hey. What's up? Hopefully more than that. Got a question? You want me to talk about something on the show? Got a comment, opinion on anything we talk about? Drop me a line. Taking your calls on the rush line. That is always open. Three open, More open than I'd like to be, actually. 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday. Shalom. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page. On the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, mine is commercials, so you can go back and listen to anything that you missed. For instance, uh, if you missed the Rock Around the Region. I want to rock! And we start with girls' high school playoff basketball, where Martinsburg beat Spring Mills 62-41, to win the Quad A Region 2 Section 1 title. On the other side of the region, Jefferson remained unbeaten with a 51-36 win over Musselman to win the Section 2 crown. In Class A Region 2 Section 1, Tucker County rolled over Union 74-50. The Section 2 title game between Pocahontas County and Pendleton County will be played tonight. Also tonight in Double A, Petersburg will take on Frankfurt at Moorfield for a section championship, and Hampshire will host Kaiser in Triple A. On the boys' side, Pendleton County stayed undefeated with a 72-28 win over Petersburg. The Wildcats are the lone unbeaten team in the entire state in boys' basketball in any class. Elsewhere, 
Tigers Valley beat Tucker County 54-42, and Moorfield beat Kaiser uh, 52-47. In Major League Baseball, the struggling Nats continue to struggle against the Diamondbacks. And a fly ball to right, sending Soto back. He looks up, and it's gone! Andrew Young, a grand slam into the bullpen in right field, and the Diamondbacks lead it 10-3. The call on Arizona Sports 98-7, D-backs score 10 runs in the first two innings and cruise to an 11-6 win in D.C. Patrick Corbin got touched up for 10 runs, 9 earned, on just 6 hits. Three of those hits were home runs, including that granny right there from Andrew Young. In just two innings of work, he was booed off the mound at Nats Park yesterday. Uh, Starlin Castro and Josh Harrison homeward for Washington, which is now 3-7. and seven. In Pittsburgh, the Padres were looking for a four-game split with the Pirates. Here's a one and two again, and Manny hits it in the air down the left field line. Reynolds going back, looking up, going to go. A two-run homer for Manny Machado here in the first inning. Tucked it inside the foul pole down the left field line. It's a three-run first and a 3 nothing lead. The call on 97-3, the fan. Padres scored four in the first off Mitch Keller and went on to beat the Bucks 8-3. to uh, Colin Moran had two hits for Pittsburgh. And in Baltimore, after being uh, rained out on Wednesday, the M's and O's played two on Thursday. Mariners won the first game 4-2. J.P. Crawford, a tie-breaking two-run double in the sixth for Seattle. And then in the nightcap. The 1-1. Swing, and this is absolutely destroyed. Mitch Hanniger going back into the Mariners' bullpen again. Hanniger has homered. Once more at Camden Yards. He homers in both ends of the doubleheader and has given the Mariners a 2-1 lead in the fifth inning. The call on 7-10 ESPN Seattle. Mitch Hanniger's solo shot in the fifth proved to be the game winner. As the Mariners got the win and the sweep 2-1, Hanniger became the first Seattle player ever to homer out of the leadoff spot in both ends of a doubleheader. Uh, Trey Mancini homered in the first game for the O's, who had just seven hits combined in both games. No Oriole had more than one hit in either game. Ouch. In the NHL, the Capitals had a chance to increase their lead in the East Division by beating the lowly Sabres last night, and they did not. And the Sabres will clear to the line. Schultz apparently held that one in, but now it's lost. And up ice comes Middlestack. Short-handed down the left wing. Shoots and scores. Ripped it up and over the glove of Vitek Vanacek. The sixth short-handed goal the Capitals have allowed this year. Casey Middlestad, seventh of the season. A laser to the top corner. And Buffalo has opened up a 3-1 lead. The call on the Capitals radio network. 5-2 the final as last place Buffalo. Beat the Caps in Washington. Anthony Mantha had his second goal in as many games uh, for the Caps. Now, with Washington losing, the Penguins had a chance to pick up two points on the Caps in the standings, and they failed. Uh, Losing to the Flyers 2-1 in a shootout. Uh, Sidney Crosby had the lone goal for Pittsburgh. Flyers won for just the ninth time in the last 25 games. 
And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. So yeah, it was pretty funny as I'm sitting here this morning and I'm getting all this information together. And as I'm going down the list, you know, Nats get blown out, Orioles get swept, Pirates lost, and I'm Capitals. Like my, everybody lost. <laughs> everybody lost. The only team that didn't lose was the Wizards, and they didn't play. Every team we talk about here on pretty much a national level lost yesterday. So a tough, uh, tough day for fans in our area. And the Caps and Pens, no excuse at all. No excuse at all. Capitals, you're at home. You're taking on, although look, Buffalo has won five of nine. They were playing a little bit better. We talked about the Sabres before, how they went on that 18-game winless streak. Well, since they snapped that streak, they're five and four. So, obviously, when you lose 18 in a row, there's nowhere to go but up. So they are playing a little better, even without their best player, Jack Eichel, who's uh, on the shelf for the rest of the year with an injury. But here you have the Capitals in first place in the East, an opportunity to increase that lead because the Islanders lost yesterday. But the Caps couldn't do it. They, they lose to Buffalo. And then here's the Penguins. With the Islanders and the Caps both losing, they have a chance to pick up ground. And they did. They got one point because the game went to a shootout. But they blew a chance at an extra point by losing the shootout. And the Flyers had been struggling, as I mentioned, for weeks. For weeks. Last night was just their ninth win in the last 25 games. So there's a situation yesterday where the top three teams in the East Division, Caps, Islanders, Penguins, all lost. Nobody taking advantage of the other teams around them losing. Boston, the only team in the top four uh, to win last night. So they pick up two points, and they are now four points behind the Penguins. Uh, Boston has 52 points. The Pens, 57. The Islanders, 58. And then the Caps on top uh, with 60. So uh, missed opportunities for sure uh, for the Caps and Pens. Baseball-wise, look, I know last year was a difficult season for uh, everybody. The pandemic just uh, wreaked havoc on everything. So you're kind of willing to give teams a pass, right? You're kind of willing to to give managers and uh, players a pass. Because of what happened. Because last year, the Nationals finished dead last in the NL East at 26 and 34. They actually tied with the Mets at 26 and 34. This year, they're off to a 3 and 7 start. Now, again, they had COVID issues to start this season. Their first series of the season against the Mets wiped out. They put, what was it, 10, 11 players on the injured list with COVID-related issues or due to COVID-related issues. They're finally getting everybody back. It's early. And the point I'm trying to make is, how much of a pass do you give manager Davey Martinez before his seat starts getting a little bit warm? Not hot, but just a little bit, a little bit. 
because last season, uh, last season was just kind of like a, a you get a do over from last season. Fair enough, I I think, because it was just messed up for everybody. This season, again, COVID issues. You may be giving a little bit of a pass. And I mentioned Nats fans, they booed last night. Uh, Patrick Corbin, who had not strong again, got booed off the mound. And whenever you know fans start getting restless, people start listening. That's just the way it goes. It's early. It's only 10 games in. I'm not saying that David Martinez should be fired tomorrow. But at some point, you run out of free passes. You run out of mulligans. The Nationals, they got some new pieces in place. And once those pieces start fitting in, if they can stay healthy and keep all those pieces in place for a while, can they turn it around? Sure. Their pitching staff is still solid. They they can make a run. But if they continue to struggle here, especially after they have all their pieces in place, you have to start asking, does Davey Martinez go? Or does the seat at least start getting hot? Pirates, look, they lost yesterday. But they split with the second-best team in the National League. I got no complaints there. None. Absolutely none. When you are in a full rebuild mode like Pittsburgh and you have and you host the Padres. Now, look, I understand the Padres did not have Fernando Tatis Jr. That makes a huge difference. So I'm not going to pretend like they beat the Padres at full strength. They did not. But when you're the Pirates, uh, you're not going to apologize for a win. They didn't get one yesterday, but they split. They split the four-game series with, again, and some people think that the Pods are the best team. Now, they would be wrong because the Dodgers are still the best team. But for them to pick up a split against that team, I'll take it. I'll take it. Pirates are 5-8. and eight. They're a half game behind the Cubs. And they're one and a half behind the Cardinals. Uh, a better start than I kind of expected, especially after that six-game losing streak. And then the Orioles were just terrible yesterday. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the only way that you can put it. When you play a doubleheader in your home ballpark, and you manage a total of seven hits in both games. That's just brutal. That's brutal. And there's no other way around it. As I mentioned in the Rock Around the Region, no Oriole had more than one hit the entire day. You played two. Now, again, there's seven inning games instead of nine inning games and a doubleheader, which I still think is stupid. So you lose some opportunities to get more hits because you're playing four or fewer innings. And it's not like you're going against the Nationals rotation or the Yankees rotation or the Dodgers. You know, you're going against Seattle. And you manage seven, seven hits in 14 innings of baseball. And nobody had more than one. That's just awful. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody texted me the other day and said, hey, uh, what happened to all the Orioles fans? Well, when you start losing, 
people scatter. All of a sudden, that that uh, season opening sweep over the Red Sox seems like it was a year and a half ago. Does it not? Does it not? Now the O's are tied for last. <laughs> They're both them and the Rays are both five and eight, and they're already. And this is the this is the funny thing. This is how crazy sports can be. The Orioles sweep the Red Sox in the opening series of the season. They now trail the Red Sox by four games in the in the AL East because the Red Sox they they've won nine of their last ten. They have put that season opening sweep far behind them. They're nine and four. Oh, how quickly things change in two weeks, right? You had Orioles fans buzzing a little bit. Oh man, swept Boston and at Fenway. It was only the, it was only the second time in Red Sox history that they had been swept in a season opening series at Fenway. The second time ever. O's fans were, oh my good, look at that. Swept Boston, man. 3 0 out of the gate. Since then, now, now they trail Boston by four. And it doesn't help when you're one and six at home. It doesn't help that the Orioles are one and six at Camden, including that two, that doubleheader sweep yesterday. So a rough night all around for our local and regional teams, to say the to say the least. All right, time for a break. We've got some news and uh, weather coming up. When we come back, we'll get into some more high school hoops talk. As I mentioned in the Rock Around the Region, we had a few section champs crowned last night. We'll have a few more tonight, and we'll look at uh, what that means for next week's region co-finals. And we'll give a shout-out to uh, one undefeated boys team who they haven't lost in two years. Stick around for that. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. As I was uh, perusing the interwebs, as I do uh, during most breaks, to make sure there's no uh, breaking news that I miss, I noticed that uh, on Twitter, ESPN Ringside, uh, they posted this yesterday. I didn't. I missed this anniversary. Of course, yesterday was Jackie Robinson Day, which we'll talk about uh, later. But yesterday was also the anniversary of perhaps the greatest uh, three minutes of boxing ever. It was Hagler Hearns from 1985, and I just sat here. I will never ever not watch that, All right? If I see that first round of Hagler and Hearns, April 15th, 1985, I will watch it every single time. And that's what I did during the break. And I retweeted it uh, on our Twitter page, at ESPN Morning Rush. Even if you're not a boxing fan, check it out. It truly, I mean, these two guys just standing toe-to-toe and just wailing on each other. For three straight minutes. 
It will go down in history. It will go down. We still talk. I'm still talking. I'm talking about it now. It was 1985. I was a freshman in high school. And people who still like get into boxing, they still talk about it to this day. Anyway, again, I check it out on our, our Twitter page at uh, ESPN Morning Rush. Uh, tonight on the station, we have uh, Nationals baseball. We talked about the uh, struggling Nats, uh, three and seven so far this season. They'll try to turn it around tonight. When they take on the D-backs, we'll have that uh, that game for you right here, pregame at six. 35. But the game is in D.C. Baseball is back at Nats Park. And for those of you heading to the ballpark, uh, we know that you might have some questions because with COVID and the pandemic still going on, for information on all things health, safety, and ticketing, visit nationals.com slash welcome home. So there you go. All right, so uh, high school hoops. As I mentioned in the top of the hour, uh, had a few section champs crowned last night, and we'll have a few more after tonight's action. Martinsburg and Jefferson are your Quad A Region 2 section champions. So what does that mean for next week? Martinsburg will host Musselman in one region co-final with a spot in the state tournament on the line. In the other Region 2 co-final, uh, Jefferson is hosting Spring Mills, again, with a state tourney spot on the line. In Class A Region 2, uh, Tucker County, there's a shocker, will host a region co-final after beating Union last night. Now, they'll have to wait on the results of tonight's game between Pocahontas County and uh, Pendleton County. Loser of tonight's game will play at Tucker next week. The winner will host Union. Also tonight in AAA Region 1, second-seeded Kaiser is playing at number 1 Hampshire for the Section 2 championship at 6. The regular season is any indication. Did I say Andy? It's not even a word. Is any indication. This is going to be a tight game. Kaiser-Hampshire split the regular season series, each winning by identical 40 to 39 scores. Now, winner of tonight's game will host the loser of the Section 1 title game, which is also tonight, number 2 Weir at number 1 North Marion. And then, of course, the loser of that game will play at the uh, Section 2 champ next week. And in AA this evening, the highly anticipated rubber match between Petersburg and Frankfurt for the Region 2 Section 1 title. That game being played at Moorfield. I'm not getting into that again at 7 o'clock. Uh, Falcons and Vikings split the regular season series, each defending their home court. Uh, Back on March 23rd, Frankfurt won by a bucket in short gap, 55-53. And then Petersburg got the split on April 1st, uh, 69-60. Now, they'll have to wait an extra day to see who they play next week in the region co-finals. Number two, Braxton County. And number one, Trinity will play their section title game tomorrow at 7 o'clock at Trinity. And uh, since we're talking high school hoops, let's give a shout-out to the Pendleton County boys team, which hasn't lost a game in two years. The Wildcats beat up on Petersburg last night to run their win streak to 34 games. 
which dates back to the end of the 2018-19 season. They are the only undefeated boys team left in the entire state in any class, just like they were last year before COVID ended their season before they even got a chance to play uh, in the state tournament. Last night, they absolutely took apart Petersburg, 72-28. to The Cats shut out the Vikings in the first quarter, 16 to nothing. And they led at the half, 32 to 7. This is a single A school taking on a double A school. Pendleton County has won their 11 games this season by an average of 27 points. Their closest margin of victory was 8 points, 51 43 over Kaiser a triple-A school. The next closest margin of victory was 17. Now, uh, they will try to complete their second straight unbeaten regular season tonight when they play at Tucker County. Tucker is 10-4 and this year. They beat Tucker in the season opener back on March 10th, 53-36. That was that 17-point margin. So, Pendleton County, on a roll, to say the least, going for their 35th straight victory tonight. Congratulations to them. And, uh, look, any coach will tell you, and I can't remember the gentleman's uh, first name. I know it's Coach Lambert. I can tell you that. Give me a second. I'll figure it out, or I'll look it up online, whatever comes first. But he basically said in this story on Metro News that they haven't won anything. And they they know that. They know that. I think it's Ryan Lambert. It is. Ryan Lambert is the head coach at Pendleton County. And he said, uh, occasionally he has to remind his team that they haven't done anything yet. And he said they're honestly willing to hear that. That they are by no means, you know, talking about an unbeaten record because if they don't take care of business in the playoffs, who cares? And that's that's a perfect mindset to have. He says if, if they don't carry momentum into the playoffs and get to Charleston, then it's all for nothing. I consider and talk about it. That's what we do. And that's impressive. It is highly impressive to win 34 straight games over a two-season you know period, especially a messed-up season like this where you're off again, you're on again, you're playing again, you're not playing again, it's this and that, whatever, and they're just hammering everybody. They're hammering triple-A teams. Or, well, I, eight points isn't hammering Kaiser, but still, when a, a class-A team beats a triple-A team by eight, that's impressive. So we'll see if they can close out a regular season tonight undefeated and then get ready for the state tournament. So I guess whenever I say congrats on an undefeated season, that's going to fall on deaf ears because they understand, and again, rightfully so, uh, that they have bigger fish to fry uh, in the postseason. A senior-laden team as well. I think they have uh, six seniors. So a very experienced group. Uh, Last night against Petersburg, uh, who's the kid? Bailey Thompson had 14, and Josh Alt uh, had 12 for Pendleton County. So that pretty much puts a wrap uh, on high school hoops for today's show, at least. 
And then next week, of course, we have the we'll have the the, the girls region co finals. Then the boys will start. And we'll have the boys uh, section semifinals and title games next week. So a lot more to go. And this is a, so it's such a bizarre season because yesterday I was down in Kaiser for a track meet. Frankfurt, it was Frankfurt. Uh, who was there? Frankfurt, Northern, Kaiser, I think Pawpaw and Pendleton County. I think those were the five teams. And I didn't appreciate the fact that it was like 45 degrees and windy. I, I would, <laughs> You would have thought, since the season got started a little later than usual, it's the middle, middle of April, that we would have had some nice weather. Uh, but no. Now, don't get me wrong. It could have been Frostburg. You know, it could have been Tucker County. So I'll, I'll, so I, you know, I'll take the weather in Kaiser last night. But this is such a weird and funky season. So I'm I'm at a track meet last night. We're still playing basketball. Baseball season has started. Tennis started yesterday. I don't so I, I softball has started sooner or later, right? It's, I'm, it's probably this week. So we have all these different sports going on at one time. It's hard to keep track of who's coming and who's going. And I, I said this, I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before. God bless. Every single athletic director from sea to shining sea. God bless. If, if, if you see an athletic director uh, today, especially in West Virginia, uh, give him a hug. Or no, 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 no. Not during a pandemic. Don't give him a hug. Uh, give him a, a fist bump or an elbow, uh, whatever you want to call that. Or a high five or just like a six foot away, you know, imaginary. Do something. Fist bump your athletic director today because what they've had to go through, the hoops they've had to jump through to get these schedules figured out. Not just get the schedules figured out, but then have to deal with the fact that the schedules, like as soon as they were released, you might as well just flush them because the schedules have changed so damn much throughout the course of this school year. It's incredible. So not only do you have original schedules, you have uh, the rescheduling of the original schedules. And then you have the rescheduling of the reschedules. I don't know. I don't know how much an AD makes in West Virginia. I don't know that. But I will say this. It probably wasn't enough uh, for this past year. (laughs) It probably wasn't enough. Anyway, it's a busy time. It's a very busy time. Uh, all right, uh, let's go. What are we going to do now? We're going to do, eh, let's go to break. Let's go to break. I need a drink. Uh, maybe I'll run to the bathroom. You didn't need to know that, but I figure I'll tell you anyway. When we come back, yesterday was a Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball. We'll hear from a couple players. We'll also hear from Jackie's daughter who paid tribute to her father on ESPN yesterday. Stick around for that. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Yesterday, uh, Major League Baseball celebrated uh, Jackie Robinson Day on the 64th 
anniversary of Robinson breaking MLB's uh, color barrier. Uh, as most of us know by now, uh, baseball retired uh, Robinson's number 42 throughout the majors in 1997 and then dedicated April 15th as Jackie Robinson Day back in 2004. And then every year since then, every player, every manager, anybody who hits the field on April 15th wears uh, number 42. And it truly is one of the greatest tributes in all of sports. It, it truly is. When you have every single person involved wearing just one number, because that's how much Jackie Robinson meant to the game of baseball, what he did for the game of baseball. Uh, Justin Dunn, who pitches for Seattle, he uh, he started and got the win in the second game against the Orioles yesterday. He talked about what it meant to take the mound on uh, such a special day. It was uh, it was a pretty cool moment just to be able to honor him and, and play and, and everything he's done for this game. I mean, everybody across the league saying great things, but um, for me, just the way he inspired me as an African-American in baseball and um, I wouldn't be here without him. So without all the hard things that he's endured and um, he went through and his family went through. So to go out there and kind of leave it all out on the field like that was, it was a great feeling. And then uh, pitching in this ballpark and, and having my family here was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, done for the record, allowed just one run on two hits and struck out six in five innings. Uh, Manny Machado hit a two-run bomb and drove in another run with a sack fly in San Diego's win over the Pirates. And he said after the game that he is grateful uh, for the opportunity to play in the bigs, uh, an opportunity that was provided by Jackie Robinson. This is his day. You know, uh, we, we, none of us will be here right now. Latins, African-Americans, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him, you know, sacrificing what he did and his family. And, uh, you know, we play this day today and, you know, to his honor and, you know, we enjoy this and we represent him the best we can. And, uh, you know, thank God we got a W today. Also yesterday, Robinson's daughter, Sharon, uh, paid tribute to her father. What my dad was asked to do in 1947 still defies the imagination. Don't fight back, but fight through racism and hatred. Steal against spike high slides and head hunters pitches thrown with the power of Joe Lewis punches. Survive for every player of color from the Negro Leagues and beyond. Succeed as if an entire people's dreams of shedding race-based shackles depended upon it. Prove to America that the color of one's skin should never be the only measure of a man, woman, or child. And do this all nearly two decades before the civil rights era. Back in the days when integration wasn't fashionable, he underwent the trauma and humiliation walking the lonesome byways towards a high road of freedom, Dr. Martin Luther King said. The aspirations of my father and my mother, Rachel Robinson, did not begin and end that April day. They would go on to speak for the voiceless after police dogs were unleashed on peaceful civil rights protesters. They marched with Dr. King. They championed equality in classrooms and boardrooms. 
And I have been moved by the cause that brings so many of you out day in and day out, putting your lives on the line so that America can be free. Only death at age 53 could still my dad's call for justice. The seeds he planted lived on in Martin and Malcolm, Rosa and Thurgood, Muhammad and Maya. So many others dare dream because of him. Like a kid from Brooklyn named Spike and a dreamer from Chicago named Barack. There's a direct line between Jackie Robinson and me standing here. America's first black president will go on to say that sports has had this power to bring us together even when the country is divided. Sports has changed attitudes and culture in ways that seem subtle, but that ultimately made us think differently about ourselves and who we were. And much of that can be attributed to Jackie Robinson, my dad, my hero, my heart. That again was uh, Sharon Robinson, daughter of Jackie Robinson, uh, paying tribute to uh, her dad yesterday on Jackie Robinson Day. Several players uh, took to Twitter. Yesterday, Marcus Stroman said that uh, he was grateful for Robinson's heroic presence through dark times. And he was forever thankful for Robinson. He also posted a picture of a full-face tattoo that he has of Jackie Robinson on his right leg. Uh, The Orioles team page tweeting, quote, unquote, we owe everything to 42. And Tim Anderson of the White Sox uh, tweeting, quote, Jackie was a trailblazer and we all owe him a lot. He's the reason I put on this uniform every day, end quote. So uh, a well-deserved, it's always a well-deserved truth. When you think about it, I mean, I don't even know if you can wrap your mind around it. And I don't know if you can even comprehend what that man had to go through back in 1947, breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And and you even heard in that tribute from his daughter talking about, uh, you know, still high, how how would she say it, high uh, still spike slides, headhunters, like pitchers. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine stepping into the batter's box back in 1947 and having a pitcher throw at your head because you're black? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that man had to go through to do what he did? Trust me, we are by no means... Uh, in our in this day and age in this country, we are by no means where we should be as far as race relations go. But just imagine, just go back to 1947 to be the first man, to be the first black player to play in Major League Baseball, to be hated, hated because he did that. It, it's hard for me to even comprehend to to have the intestinal fortitude, the strength to go through that 
That's why we celebrate Jackie Robinson Day. That's why we have days like yesterday. That's why every single player manager puts on 42. Trailblazer, paved the way. Paved the way. All right, hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up, of course. That comes after one. Got our Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda. Stick around for that. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. A reminder, several ways to get involved on the show. Check out our Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C, our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Uh, Like the pages, follow the pages, and anytime you feel froggy, take the leap. And uh, drop me a line. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial a dance, shamo. That was too aggressive. That was too over the top. I'm sorry. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page. On the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials. We cut it up, clean it up, slice it up, slap a ribbon on it, and put it up there just for you to go back and listen to anything that you may have missed. So if you missed the first hour, we talked about every single team we cover losing yesterday on a national level. We talked about some high school hoops, which we'll get it to here in just a bit. And we talked about yesterday uh, being Jackie Robinson Day. So again, if you missed any of it, check out our podcast page on the free Podbean app. All right. Let's, uh, one more time this morning, rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with girls' high school playoff basketball where Martinsburg beat Spring Mills 62-41 to win the Quad A Region 2 Section 1 championship. On the other side of the region, Jefferson remained unbeaten with a 51-36 win over Musselman to win the Section 2 crown. So next week in the region co-finals, Martinsburg will host Musselman and Jefferson will host uh, Spring Mills. So two of those four teams are going to the girls' uh, state tournament. In Class A, Region 2, Section 1, Tucker County rolled over Union 74-50. to The uh, Section 2 title game between Pocahontas County and Pendleton County will be played tonight. Also tonight in Double A, uh, Petersburg will take on Frankfurt at Moorfield for a section title, and Hampshire will host Kaiser in Triple A. On the boys' side, Pendleton County stayed undefeated with a 72-28 win over Petersburg. The Wildcats are the lone unbeaten boys' team in the entire state in any class. They've won 34 games in a row dating back to the end of the 2018-19 season. Elsewhere, Tigers Valley beat Tucker County 54-42, and Moorfield beat Kaiser 52-47. In Major League Baseball, the struggling Nats continue to struggle against the Diamondbacks. And a fly ball to right, sending Soto back. He looks up, and it's gone! Andrew Young, a grand slam into the bullpen in right field, and the Diamondbacks lead it 10-3. to 
The call on Arizona Sports 98.7. D-backs scored 10 runs in the first two innings and cruised to an 11-6 win in D.C. Patrick Corbin got touched up for 10 runs, nine earned on just six hits, uh, three of them homers in just two innings of work. Starling Castro and Josh Harrison homered for Washington, which is now 3-7. and seven. In Pittsburgh, the Padres were looking for a four-game split with the Pirates. Here's a one and two again, and Manny hits it in the air, down the left field line. Reynolds going back, looking up, going to go! A two-run homer for Manny Machado here in the first inning. Tucked it inside the foul pole down the left field line. It's a three-run first and a 3 nothing lead. The call on 97-3, the fan Padres scored four in the first off Mitch Keller and went on to beat the Bucks 8-3, Machado two-run homer and a sack fly for an RBI. Colin Moran had two hits for Pittsburgh. And in Baltimore, after being rained out on Wednesday, the M's and O's played two on Thursday. Mariners won the first game 4-2, J.P. Crawford. A tie-breaking two-run double in the sixth for Seattle, and then in the nightcap. The 1-1. Swing, and this is absolutely destroyed. Mitch Hanniger going back into the Mariners' bullpen again. Hanniger has homered once more at Camden Yards. He homers in both ends of the doubleheader and has given the Mariners a 2-1 lead in the fifth inning. The call on 710 ESPN Seattle. Mitch Hanniger's solo shot in the fifth proved to be the game winner. As the Mariners won and got the sweep 2-1, Hanniger became the first Seattle player ever to homer out of the leadoff spot in both ends of a doubleheader. Trey Mancini homered in game one for the O's, who had just seven hits combined in the doubleheader. And no Oriole had more than one hit in either game. In the NHL, the Capitals had a chance to increase their lead in the East Division by beating the lowly Sabres at home last night. And they did not. And the Sabres will clear to the line. Schultz apparently held that one in, but now it's lost. And up ice comes Middlestat. Short-handed down the left wing. Shoots and scores. Ripped it up and over the glove of Vitek Vanacek. The sixth shorthanded goal the Capitals have allowed this year. Casey Middlestad, seventh of the season, a laser to the top corner, and Buffalo has opened up a 3-1 lead. The call on the Capitals radio network, 5-2 to the final as last place Buffalo beat the Caps in Washington. Anthony Mantha had his second goal in as many games for the Caps. Now, with Washington losing, the Penguins had a chance to pick up two points on the Caps, and they failed. Losing to the Flyers 2-1 in a shootout. Uh, Sidney Crosby had the lone goal for Pittsburgh. Flyers won for just the ninth time in the last 25 games. And that was, or that is, or whatever. It's your Rock Around the Region, brought to you by the Caporelli Group. As we mentioned in the uh, first hour, the top three teams in the East all lost last night. Caps, Islanders, and Penguins. The Bruins, the only top four team to win in the East. So Caps, Isles, Pens, all blowing opportunities to either gain points or extend their lead, in the Capitals' case, over everybody else. So yeah, so everybody lost last night. Nationals, Pirates, Orioles twice, Caps, and Pens, all losers. 
Only reason why the Wizards didn't lose because they didn't play. Maybe they'll uh, do that tonight and get it over with. <laughs> Nationals, by the way, will have that game here tonight. They take on the Diamondbacks once again, uh, pregame at a six thirty-five. So yesterday, before we get to our uh, Rush Friday feature here with Joe Shuda, yesterday I mentioned a situation in the Pittsburgh area where very popular, very successful uh, head football coach for Pine Richland, uh, Eric Kasparowitz, and his entire staff was fired via email by the Pine Richland District Administration, whatever you want to call it. Now, digging into the story a bit, there were some allegations of hazing and or bullying in the locker room within the football program and that people were sniffing around and they were interviewing students and uh, one player said that they were asking questions about things that happened six, seven years ago. Still not an official reason why Kasparowitz and his staff uh, was fired. This morning, there is a huge crowd gathered in front of Pine Richland High School in favor of uh, Coach Kasparowitz and his, his coaching staff. There's players, there's parents, there's other students. And I, I saw one tweet earlier that said, this is unofficial, that the football players weren't going to school unless they got a chance to talk with the people responsible for firing their head coach. So there you have it. I just retweeted a picture of the crowd in front of uh, Pine Richland. So I just want to give you a little update. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, right before this show ended yesterday, the coach uh, Kasparowitz released a statement that you know he unequivocally there was no hazing or bullying under his watch. Okay, and the, but that it was kind of contradictory because he said in the in the infrequent. Times did happen. They took care of it. So I, I guess something did happen. It, w- it was in a, in a way where it was taken take, taken care of internally. But to his knowledge, anything that was really just completely off the charts terrible, that, that just didn't happen. So I just wanted to update you. If you listened yesterday, uh, a lot of people in front of the high school today demanding some answers uh, for that firing or firings. All right, uh, it is Friday. In case you didn't know, now you do. Uh, so it's time for our Rush Friday feature with my main man, Joe Shuda. Check out all of Joe's stuff on his website, 2MinuteTO.com. That's the number 2, MinuteTO.com. And today, kind of go off the usual course. Usually it's a football, you know, a former football player or basketball. We're going to talk some running today. Joe is an avid runner. And he caught up with one of the best marathon runners in history. This cat, Bill Rogers, won the Boston Marathon multiple times, the New York City Marathon multiple times. So a little change of pace here. So here is our Rush Friday feature with, again, my main man, Joe Shuda. 
It's time for the Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda. My guest on the Rush Friday feature is known as one of the greatest marathoners in the history of the United States. He won the Boston Marathon and New York City Marathon four times each. And only by the magic of technology am I able to catch up with Bill Rogers once again. Bill, great to speak with you again. Hey, Joe. Good to join you. Before we talk about how COVID has changed our lives and affected running, especially the Boston Marathon, I wanted to have you tell us about your mom who passed away last year. I read several articles in New England newspapers about what a great lady she was. Yeah, she was a really interesting lady. She was a big supporter. She was not a runner in her youth and all, you know. She was from a ways back. She was 97 when she passed away. and But she um, is a big supporter of my brother and I's running and later became a runner at age 57. She just loved, uh, she later saw the marathon. She was not a marathoner, but she did run in the Senior Olympics once in a 10K. She ran with her friends. Yeah, she was a big supporter. Boston was canceled last year. It's postponed again this year with the possibility of reduced field in October. Just explain what the Boston Marathon means, not only nationwide for runners, but in the Boston area in particular. It's a holiday. It's um, Paul Revere's Ride and Patriot's Day, and it's just got a lot of power to it. And Everyone just loves the day, the celebration. And, you know, they don't just cheer for the front runners and everything. Everyone gets cheered. It's like something that's just off the charts. And, and so when, you know, when COVID hit and we all got really scared, nervous about this, try to find out about it, you know, it was really tough. I think it was very fatiguing. I mean, I didn't even get COVID, and I'm still tired I'm trying to train to a year ago, and I've been running ever since. I ran two little races, you know, because you couldn't be in big groups. So our sport really kind of got crushed in a certain way, but they tried to do, you know, the virtual marathons or runs where you could still take part. You still try to stay active. It's kind of like a psychological game you kind of play with. And I went up there running with my friends with a mask. Some of my friends did not want to wear a mask. I always wore one because I also wanted people to think that I'm thinking about other people as well because we're all in this together. This is a countrywide sort of thing, and it's worldwide. I think this is a way of fighting back. That's what it was to me. That's why I ran, you know, even though I didn't have races or anything, I said, you know, I'm still going to get out there. I didn't do anything great. I didn't run as much. I had to cut back my running, but I think it plays a role because then you kind of are sending a message. You know, I believe in this. I believe in trying to be active a little bit. I'm older now, <laughs> so it's all a different thing, but, but now everything is changing. We're beating the virus. Thank God those scientists, these incredible researchers, I really admire them. I mean, they are incredible. To find this vaccine and get us all the opportunity to take care of ourselves. So, you, so we can start getting back to real life, you know, and businesses are opening. It's great to sense that, but we still got to be careful. I think this is the way that we can move forward is when we get vaccinated. We got to do it. Just got to do it. We are joined by Bill Rogers, four-time winner each of the Boston Marathon and the New York City Marathon. Bill, the Boston Marathon is giving people the opportunity to run a virtual marathon. It's sort of an honor system, 26.2 miles, and they will receive a medal. There are a lot of people who are upset about that, saying, wait a minute, I had to qualify yeah. for Boston to get a medal, and everyone gets a trophy type of thing. Yeah. What's your feeling? Of it? Obviously, it raises a um, lot of money for charity, and it gives people a good feeling yeah. that they're continuing. But on the other hand, you know, you have people who worked real hard to, to get into Boston, and, and you're giving a medal out to people who just sort of do it on their own? You know, they never had qualifying standards until the 1970s at some point, you know. So I think, yeah, there's two sides to the story, but I think 
in the long run, we have to stick together. This is how I always do things. And we got to beat this disease. we got to work together. And I like the message of, you know, trying to be active. You know, the marathon, most people never going to run a marathon. That's a long way. I fell into a marathoning by chance myself. I never thought about running a marathon when I was younger. But it's like a quest, you know, and it's a way to fight against the disease. That's how I see it. You know, it's like we're not going to let this beat us, all of us. I also like that a lot of people who never were active in their life, they suddenly said, you know, I'm going to try this. I read a book this year by this guy who wrote, he lives in the Boston area, saw, always would watch the Boston Marathon. And then I think he was about 45 or 47. He said, you know what, I'm going to run this. And two of his buddies who played basketball with him said, we'll do it too. It's just an incredible story. This is what a lot of Boston is. It's just a challenge. And we can all do these incredible things, but we don't think we can. Whether it's you're out there virtually running with your friends, the qualifying standards are tough. I don't think I could do it today. I'm serious. And uh, But the Boston Marathon wants to be a positive event. It's all that kind of thinking. And that's how runners think. And that's how everyone who becomes a runner ends up thinking. And when you read this book about this guy, and he kind of struggled off and on, you know, throughout the race, his two buddies finished and he finished. It's just incredible. And you think, you know, sports are only for a few people, but our sport is big, big. And so it's, it's a great honor, you know. And maybe some of these people will take up running and walking or some sport that they like. Getting back then to the question. So for the elite runner who had to qualify, it's never going to take away the fact that they qualified. It's just that we're in a position never been in before and it's to yes, encourage absolutely. people to, to still love running. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. This is it. You know, I think it's a one-shot thing that they will open it up to anyone, but I'm not sure. You know, in a certain way, I always think three majors, Boston, New York City, and Chicago, these are the three biggest, strongest marathons in the country. There's a lot of others. They're fantastic events, uh, whether it's Houston or L.A. or wherever, Philadelphia. I think they're just trying to open the door and, and give some... It kind of sounds silly, but hope to people. I think that's what they're trying to do. People really think of the Boston Marathon as, I don't know, it's just something. To me, it's like the Kentucky Derby or the Indy 500 or the Masters. It's just like an American jewel, you know? It's just this great goal or something to aim for. And sometimes we run these races. I mean, I dropped out three times at Boston, but I still tried. Everything is trying. If you do that, you got it. Then you got it. We are joined by Bill Rogers, four-time winner of the Boston Marathon and the New York City Marathon. You know, you've always been a really humble, down-to-earth guy. So the question I have for you, you see so many people that attain that fame and then they squander their money, they're jerks, the way they act about it. How did you maintain that? I'm sure there were times where it's like, you know, do you know who I am type thing, which you've never done that. And you've been around guys, I'm sure, who gave that attitude, like, do you know who I am, right? I think running is really different. I think the Olympic sports are kind of different because these none of them are really big money or something like that. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure, you know, on athletes. And uh, you think of Lance Armstrong, who really fell hard in a certain way, and he had to try to be part of that to do his very best or something like that. I think he felt caught, you know, a great athlete, but he got hammered. But I don't think, you know, in running, everyone gets beat up in this sport. It's so challenging. I don't think it's really like that. It's just, I think when you get into the, the the big team sports, I think that's where it's really tough because the athletes make so much money. It must be so hard to deal with that. You know, I think these other sports are very different. We lose in this sport a lot. I think that's one big part about it. That's so unique. And, but that's okay because then you say, Hey, 
I didn't do this right, or I made this mistake, or I didn't, uh, I had an injury or something like that. The community has all the friendships you make. I think that's where track and field and other sports have so much power, and anyone can do them. You don't need any special qualifications or requirements. That's why, like, cross-country running is so huge in the country today, and so I love seeing that. Well, I put out a flyer for people if they're interested in asking questions. And let's start things off with Mark. Mark is from Georgia, and he says, Based on your years of running knowledge, experience, and personal injuries, what weekly frequency and running services do you recommend for the recreational runner who can try to stay injury-free? He's 66 years of age. He's running about 40 miles a week. And by the way, his goal this year is to run 2,021 miles for the year 2021, which is sort of a neat accomplishment. Yeah, he's really, really doing really well, pushing it. He's running more than I am. I'm 73 now. You know, about every five years, we feel our aging a little bit. That's just normal routine. But I think, you know, when you get into these kind of sports, you really are younger. You know, there's your licensed age, and then your your age as you take part in these kinds of sports. So I think he um, he's doing really well, you know, that kind of mileage. But I think you have to find out how much you want to run. Three days a week is good. That's good cardio exercise. And that's something we really need to take a look at because that cardiovascular disease hits more American people than anything else. So we need to fight against that. You know, you don't need to run a marathon. If you can get out there and do a run walk, like three miles, something like that, you are doing really well. The key is to find the shoes you really like. And you don't need to spend 200 bucks. Some of them are expensive today, but just think of what that investment pays off for you. It's your health, and that is priceless. John has a question. Of course, a lot of people have this question. Is any advice on lessening or getting rid of knee pain? Yeah, in terms of knee pain, generally running is going to build your cartilage and your bone strength. Yeah, when you really push it hard or you overdid it, you can develop a knee injury. Always try to run on the flat, on dirt, because genetically we are made to land on dirt. Asphalt's a modern invention. It's more for walking in cars, but most of our running is going to be on asphalt. But if you do some of your running on dirt, you recover easier. But using the roller, you can loosen up the muscles and tendons on the side of your legs that attach to your knee. But if you have a chronic knee injury or any kind of injury, I recommend going to a physical therapist because they know runner's injuries, you know, these muscle injuries and tendon injuries. Generally speaking, these sports are the ultimate good health sports. You know, we really gain in health strength, but we can get like Achilles tendonitis or plantar fasciitis. I've had both of those. You can uh, work on your Achilles, ice your Achilles. Icing is a good treatment for these kind of muscle injuries. But most of them will back off. Our bodies are incredibly strong. In, in the past, 100 years ago, only 100 people, 200 people would run the Boston Marathon. Now it's like 20, 30 all because they met someone who said, yeah, I think you can do it. We all can do this. That's the thing. But the key is to find the distance that you like. And we don't have to run marathons. The marathon is kind of a fluky, strange event. It's just, <laughs> it comes out of kind of historical, mythological lore and out of the Olympic Games, you know. So, so, but when you do run the marathon, I think you've accomplished something pretty cool. You've done well and you're an athlete. Debbie is a cross-country women's coach at a university, and she has a question. If you were training, competing at a world-class level today with all the technology we have and advances with equipment, how do you think you would use that to prepare? Thank you, Debbie. Um, and great going with your coaching. Uh, I love the coaches. I take my hat off to them. They help our kids so much all over the country. And I've gone to some running camps for 
um, high school runners like the Culver Distance Camp in Indiana and the coaches from around the country, high school and collegiate, they work with these kids, like 300 kids at a time, and talk with them, answer their questions. They do so much for our young American kids. The young people today are incredible. When I read about their training and what they are doing, they are way ahead of where me and Charlie and Jason were back in the 60s, you know, and they are really tough athletes. They're really determined. But it doesn't matter. Not Everyone's got a different level that they can get a great deal of satisfaction for. Try to run with another runner. Try to get near them and then just run behind them or something. So there's all these techniques we can use, but the key is to find your own spot within the team. And if you can avoid injuries, when you avoid injuries by running on the dirt and grass and not overdoing it and having shoes that really work comfortably for you, you improve. Everyone improves. And so you, you'll be faster. But you're, you're going to have your tough times too. Lee, who is a longtime high school cross-country coach, he's had uh-huh. runners who were good runners in high school. They went on to college and did well in college, but they don't run anymore. And he just wondered... If it seems that college running, why did it stop their passion? What happens a lot of times to runners that after they finish competing in high school and college, they just don't want to run anymore? You know what I think it is a lot, Joe? I think it is the team thing. It's just like anything else. You've got to be part of a team. I quit running when I couldn't be part of a team. It was the same thing until I joined the Boston Athletic Association. So so you, you can make a comeback. You can do it, but it's so much easier if you have someone to get out the door with. And that's a big part of it. We all quit. We all quit, you know, and that's just normal. But it's hard when you graduate high school or college to get into a fitness routine because sometimes it's tough to work it around your job. Some jobs really demanding, energy demanding. You're working construction or, or, or you're working a lot of hours at your job and you have kids. You know, that's tricky. When in college, sometimes it's different. You have more freedom, and sometimes you lose your focus. That happened to me um, as well. You know, I used to follow these two top runners at Wesleyan, Jeff Galloway and Andy Burfoot. And when they graduated, I was on my own kind of, and I had no one to follow. I was more a follower than a leader. I needed someone to get me going, you know. So, But then my senior year, I got going again. Finally, question from Carl. We seem to be living through another running boom, like the one inspired by you and Frank Shorter in the 70s, and could you comment on this phenomena and how you think it might differ from the earlier boom? Yeah, the running boom is huge, growing every year, all the time. Marathoning, there are the six world marathon majors, Tokyo, London, and Berlin, and the three in the United States. And this sport, because the door is open, so all over the world there are these huge events, 50,000 people running New York, 30,000 Boston, 40,000 Chicago, London's going to have 50,000. So I think the sport is there. It's there for the taking. I dropped out of eight marathons. I ran a total of 60. It's a tough sport. You know, we don't need to run the marathon. The marathon is kind of a quest. You know, it's kind of this pie in the sky kind of like, well, why do I want to do it? You know, you have to find a reason or something. Do you think we're going to see more American runners on the podium at major marathons in the years to come because of this running boom again? Yeah. Yeah, I think the running boom is going to keep going. Our our young Americans are incredible. Galen Rupp, you know, uh, in recent years, Dina Castor, Shalane Flanagan, Kara Goucher, Tanay Seidel, Molly Seidel, a new young American who uh, uh, made our Olympic team and will be running in Tokyo representing us. The sport is more competitive than ever. 
it's one of the most competitive sports in the world because everyone can take part. There's 200 countries in the world that take part in the world championships of track and field. It's the third biggest sports event in the world. The Olympic Games and the World Cup of Soccer being the two biggest. But we have so much talent. The U.S. has a lot of talent. We have tremendous coaches. So they're going to do well. There's no question about it. And the running boom is going to keep growing because more people know more about the sport. It's so motivational when you see the future, you know, the young people of America. Thanks so very much. Once again, great speaking with you. Let's hope that we have an, a, at least a, a smaller version of the Boston Marathon in October. And we'll talk after that. Yes, absolutely, Joe. It's going to happen. Stay positive. If we work together, nobody and nothing can stop us. That's what I've always believed. Bill, thanks for joining thanks, us Joe. once again. Best of luck to you. Thanks a lot, Joe. We'll be in touch, okay? Gotta do it. This is the Morning Rush. I just experienced one of the worst coughing jags I've ever had uh, <laughs> during the break and our uh, Rush Friday feature. Allergies are just straight up whooping my rear end. I can't remember the last time I've been hit this hard by allergies. And yes, it is allergies. I thought I was going to pass out. I'm sitting there coughing so hard, I was just like, that. this is the end. This is the end. This is cough to death. <laughs> I'm about to pass out. Coughing so much up in here. Allergies, pollen, and the whatever else. Anyway. Thanks to Joe Shuda and his guest on the uh, Rush Friday feature, uh, Bill Rogers. Uh, expert marathoner. Is that what they're called? Marathon runner, marathonist. I don't know. If you missed any of it, you can check it out on our podcast later. I'm telling you, I'm not going to make it till uh, 9 o'clock. <clears throat> On our podcast, on the free pod. Anyway, you look. You listen to the show. You know where the podcast page is. Just go find it. So uh, I see that uh, Daniel Snyder is uh, back in the news. And in other news, uh, water is wet. Uh, Snyder has apparently filed a motion of discovery against former team president Bruce Allen in federal court. Uh, Seems as if Snyder wants to go through Allen's text messages and documents that allegedly led to negative reporting against him. Old Danny Boy filed the suit in California Central District Court against Allen, who served under Snyder for 10 years in Washington, of course, until he was fired in 2019. The filing against Allen is related to another lawsuit. It's related to Snyder's lawsuit against India-based M-E-A-W-W, which wrote several ums, uh, this word is going to trip me up, I know it is, unsubstantiated allegations, there we go, against Snyder last summer before the Washington Post piece came out about sexual harassment charges against former team employees. The suit also says that Allen talked to Baltimore investigator John Moog 
on at least 87 separate phone calls that lasted nearly 21 hours. And in the six weeks leading up to the publication of articles that are deemed defamatory, Allen spoke to Moog 21 times for four and a half hours. And that Moog had contact with several media outlets during that time. It is worth noting that Moog was hired by the team's minority investors to sell their shares of the franchise. And in this latest filing, it also says that Bruce Allen texted website links and excerpts of negative news coverage to Moog and suggested that Allen actively sought out such information. Did that come over the air? The phone systems in this building suck. Like, if I forget to put on the Do Not Disturb on our phones, that's did, did you hear that? I can't stand that. Anyway, where was I? Okay. So, basically, breaking this down in Italian for you. What this filing says is that Alan was... It alleges that Allen was complicit in either leaking negative information about Snyder or was trying to obtain negative information about Snyder. So that's why Snyder wants to see the text messages and documents. Call her, hold on. What he's trying to accomplish here, I'm not quite sure. Is he going to try to nail Allen for being a snitch and maybe bring up a defamation suit? I don't know. Maybe he just wants to know why Allen was talking to the guy who was hired to sell the minority shares of the franchise 87 times within an 11-month period. I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on the radio. It just looks to me like Snyder thinks that Bruce Allen was up to some sketchy stuff, and he's trying to get to the bottom of it. We'll see. I guarantee... Uh, we have not heard the last of it. All right, let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? Hey, Tony, this is James. What's up? Hey, the phone system there must suck because I got through. <laughs> Different phone system altogether. I, I'm on, I, I think I'm on the do not disturb it's, list. It's a different system altogether. The, the, the phone line here on the show is completely separate from the other phone bank in the studio, which is like our business lines. And if I forget to put on that do not disturb, anytime somebody makes a, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, uh, was it like a page? Yes. Thank you. A page. Yeah. An intercom call. Yeah. They, we heard it. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. Daniel Snyder. He's like the Kim Jong-un of the NFL. I think. <laughs> Don't be talking bad about him. Hey, I wanted to ask you, because it's a story that, it's not getting a lot of press. The the quarterback situation in Pittsburgh, it's kind of running on fumes. What what do you think the Steelers will do to address that in the upcoming months? Do you think that they'll go to free agency to replace Ben, or do you think they'll go to the draft? And if you do think they'll go to the draft, who do you think they're looking at? Um, well, they're not going to replace Ben. He's going to retire when he wants to. Um, they're they're going to have to go through the draft. I don't know how much they, how much, what are you doing in a wind tunnel? What are you doing? <laughs> Believe it or not, you know where I work. Yeah. That is a, that's a, that's 
that's a motor test. Okay. I knew something was, my goodness. Yep. Sound like you were, anyway, I won't. Uh, and that motor's about go. a good, that motor's probably half a mile away from me. Jeez. I know, because I, I live very close to there, and I hear things up yep. over the mountainside uh, on occasion. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much faith they have in Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins. I, if I had to guess, they're going to go quarterback in the draft. Certainly not first round because there won't be any good ones left. But maybe second, third round. I don't know where they have picks in the later rounds. Uh, maybe get a developmental project. I don't know. Um, maybe they do have faith in Rudolph that he'll he'll be the heir apparent. But you know, I, I said. Before they redid Ben's contract, that it was a mistake bringing him back, and that's going to play out when the season starts. Because I, I think he's pretty much done. You saw how big the NFL quarterback carousel was this season, and I think next year it's going to be like that with Houston and Pittsburgh being the centerpieces of that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, because they'll be looking for new quarterbacks for sure. Uh, I would imagine anyway. It's not going to be as crazy. This year was just off the charts nuts when it comes to quarterbacks. It it'll won't be the same next year. The quarterback class coming out of college won't be as great. There won't be as much movement. But, yeah, the Steelers are going to find themselves looking for a QB. And, and unless they find a gem in the draft, is, is it going to be Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins next year? It might be Fitzmagic. I mean, he's already played for <laughs> half of the re- team. He's got to retire sooner or later. <laughs> All right, Tony, uh, happy Friday, and have a good weekend. Happy Friday, sir. Thanks for the call. Have a great weekend. Later, dude. All right, 301-759-2628. 301-759-2628. Yeah, Steelers situation. I, I saw it was a mistake. It was a mistake to bring Roethlisberger back for another year. I thought they should have just let him walk and maybe end up his career somewhere else. He's definitely not the Ben of old. He is just old Ben. All right, one final break, and we're back to wrap things up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Let's check on the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping. And supply yard. How about the Celtics' Jalen Brown? JB went for 40 points, including four in the final minute, and also had nine rebounds in Boston's 121-113 win over the Lakers in L.A. Uh, Brown made 12 of the first 13 shots he took, had three three three-pointers, and fell just two points shy of his career high. So the Celtics' Jalen Brown, our player who delivered last night, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. All right, before we get out of here, before we go, first of all, congratulations. I just saw this on the Book of Faces. Uh, The Frankfurt boys and girls uh, tennis teams, uh, both victorious yesterday over Moorfield. We talked about, it was was either earlier this week or late last week. Uh, Some guy tweeted out, Joe Pompliano, or Pompliano, and he asked a question on Twitter, Uh, What is the most unbelievable sports stat you have ever heard? It was last week. And we talked about it a couple times. We threw some some stats out there. He said almost 2,000 people responded. And there were some mind-blowing answers. And he kind of listed his top 10 favorites. And the one we talked about was his number one. Is that Wayne Gretzky. 
if you took away all of his goals, he he scored over 900 goals, he would still be the NHL's all-time points leader based on his assists alone. That's amazing. Some other ones of uh, of Joe's uh, favorites here. Ray Allen, remember him? He signed a $70 million contract with the Milwaukee Bucks in 1999. The interesting part, rather than using an agent, he paid Johnny Cochran 500 bucks an hour to review the deal, saved himself millions by hiring Johnny Cochran, the lawyer. Allen said, quote-unquote, I don't need somebody skimming millions off the top. How about that? Here's another one. After turning 40, Jerry Rice had 185 catches for 2,509 yards and 12 touchdowns. All other players in NFL history after turning 40 combined for two catches Four yards. And the catches were made by Tom Brady and Brett Favre. (laughs) That's amazing. After 40, Jerry Rice, 185 catches, 2,500 yards, 12 TDs. Everybody else over 40, two catches, four yards, and they're both quarterbacks. That's fantastic. Serena Williams has defeated 22 of 27 number one ranked women in tennis. The five that she has not beaten, four of them retired before she turned pro. The other one is herself. Mariana Rivera, we all remember Rivera, especially you Orioles fans, 13-time All-Star, five-time World Series champion. More people have walked on the moon than men who have scored against Rivera in the postseason. Twelve people walked on the moon. Eleven men scored against Rivera in the playoffs. That's, that's again, incredible. We talked about Larry Fitzgerald. He has, uh, in his career, more tackles than career drops. Tony Gwynn. Never struck out more than 40 times in a single season. And he ended his career with more doubles than strikeouts. Satchel Paige went 6-1 with a 2.48 ERA and two shutouts in 1948. The interesting part, he was a 42-year-old rookie. When the MLB finally allowed African Americans to play. 42 years old, went 6-1. and one. And then finally, Josh Gordon had 1,646 yards receiving for the Browns in 2013. In 14 games, he had Brandon Whedon, Jason Campbell, and Brian Hoyer as his quarterbacks. What's even crazier than that, he told GQ that he either drank or smoked up before every game that season. I don't know what's more impressive, that or the fact he caught 1,600 yards worth of, of, of passes from Brandon Whedon, Jason Campbell, and Brian Hoyer. Another one real quick somebody else mentioned, and this one's absolutely crazy. Kale Sanderson, wrestler, went 159-0 and 
and is the only unbeaten four-time NCAA Division I wrestling champion. That will never, ever be beaten. All right. Great stats. Great stuff to end the show. Thanks for listening. I'm getting out of here and taking some more allergy medicine. Have a great weekend. Enjoy whatever sports you're going to watch. Nationals, listen to them tonight here at 635. See you back here Monday, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see ya.